Well, first of all, we want to greet you in the name of Jesus. That's pretty normal, isn't it? But I would like for us to just consider what that really means. In the name of Jesus, we want to greet you. And really what that is saying is, in the authority of Jesus. It isn't just a name. It is in Jesus' authority. We want to greet one another. And so it is in that holy name that I want to bring greetings to you. And so I look forward to this week. I am uh, blessed to be here. I have a lot of questions that I have for God throughout this week. I don't have all the messages prepared. I have endeavored to do that a few times already and it has never worked. And so I trust in the Lord that he will direct from day to day as I endeavor to heed the Spirit and uh, be directed by him for the specific needs here, which I do not know. And so I look forward to that. So for an introduction, um, just to take guessing work out of the game, I'm 52 years old. So that's one thing looked after. I'm married. Have been married for uh, 30 years. Actually, this is our 30th year. My wife and I, <clears throat> my wife Irma, um, We've been married for 30 years, and we had our anniversary this year, and it was, it's, a, it's been a good uh, 30 years. Unfortunately, she cannot be here. We have uh, four children, and uh, our youngest got married Saturday a week ago. And so she's home. Our daughter's gone on her honeymoon, and uh, she's at home working in her house, preparing them a room or two so that they can at least live in their house when they get back because they only got the keys on Saturday to actually get into their house that um, that they're planning on living in. So a few things heaped on top of each other. And in September the 1st, our youngest son got married. So we are uh, empty nesters. I didn't know it comes that quickly. And our oldest son, he's... Uh, Married, and they brought us uh, two beautiful grandchildren. Our second oldest son is married, and they also have uh, two grandchildren, so two boys and two girls. So um, that is the extent of our family. So three boys, one girl, and uh, my wife, Irma. I grew up in uh, an old order setting. So horse and buggy is what I grew up with. And so I understand what it is with that. And then in, when I was uh, 17, um, I left the church and uh, attended the Markham Church, which would be the same as Horning. And then in uh, 2000, no, no, 97, I believe it was, 94, 94, sorry, is when we uh, joined the Midwest Fellowship, and that's where we have been ever since. So that is a little bit of our background, and uh, Irma and I have journeyed through some very uneven, uh, a path, an uneven path of life. And uh, but we are so thankful where God 
has put us today and we feel at peace where he has called us and we want to be faithful in that. So God is continuing to work in our lives. And I really hope that you all here tonight are a work in progress. That's very key. Because it is important that we understand that God wants to continue to work in all of our lives. So I say I don't know what your needs are here tonight. And I don't know specifically, but I do know that we are all in need of the abundant grace of God to live and abide and endow us day to day and to transform us into his own image. That is, I do know, those needs are here tonight. So throughout the week, I do not want to, my desire is not to preach as though I am presuming there has been no messengers here. I want to be very clear that I do believe that you are being preached the truth. There are people here that are born again, serving the Lord faithfully. And so I do not want to make it sound as though uh, you are in desperate need and are a lost people. Where I believe we are gathered together as fellow believers serving the Lord, but that doesn't mean that there isn't work to be done. So God has promised that the kingdom of Christ shall be exalted above all kingdoms. In Daniel chapter 7, I'll just read this verse. Daniel chapter 7 verse 14, he said, There was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that people, nations, and languages shall serve him His dominion is what? It is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and His kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. And then further down it says the saints of the Most High. What are the, what has happened with this kingdom? The saints of the Most High shall take the kingdom Possess the kingdom forever and ever. Forever and ever. So the saints of God are to possess this kingdom. And so my friends, this evening, I want to ask you the question. What does it mean when we talk about the kingdom of God? And when we say, not my will, but thy will be done. This petition you hear many times. And I don't know how often you all recite the uh, Lord's Prayer. And there it says, For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory. Where is this kingdom? What is it talking about? Because in Daniel he already prophesied that it's it's a kingdom that is forever. It's a kingdom that will not be destroyed and the saints are to possess it. Where is this kingdom? When I think of this kingdom come, thy kingdom come, 
What is it talking about? Where is it supposed to go? Thy kingdom come. When you say that, what are you saying? Where is that kingdom to be? That kingdom is the kingdom of God dwelling within our hearts. And there are three spirits that the Bible talks about. It is talking about the Holy Spirit. It is talking about the evil spirit. And it talks about the spirit of man. So when I think of that kingdom that we invite to come, that kingdom is the holy and divine spirit, God, the uh, in person of the Holy Spirit, coming and dwelling within the hearts of individuals and thereby transforming us into his own image. And so when I think of salvation in Jesus Christ, I think of the spirit of man surrendering its entire being and all into the Lordship of Jesus Christ and that Holy Spirit engaging with our spirit and renewing us into a new person in Christ Jesus. So when I think of salvation, the soul is the result of, or sorry, salvation in the soul is the result of two wills joined together. The will of God transforming and, and engaging in the will of man. And that is, for thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. He brings his spirit and brings it into our spirit and therefore we are one with him. And therefore we can say that we have been bought with a price. First Corinthians 6 verse 20. It says, ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God with your body in your spirit, which are God's. Luke 17 verse 21 says, Neither shall they say lo here or lo there. For behold, the kingdom of God is what? Within you. The kingdom of God is within you. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. The Apostle Paul writes here, Paul, in verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timotheus, our, our brother. And then it says in verse 2, To the saints and faithful brethren in Christ which are at Colossa, grace be unto you, peace and from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Then he goes on and he says, we give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. And I want to go down to verse 15. Who is the image? Well, let's go back uh, a few more verses. Verse 11. 
Verse 10, sorry, I'm going to go back a little bit further yet. That ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son." in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sin, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning of the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your, in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy, unblameable, and unreprovable in his sight if ye continue in the faith grounded and settled be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under under heaven whereof I Paul made and made a minister and so there we see friends it is very key to understand that we want this kingdom the God Christ dwelling within us and that he has preeminence do you understand what preeminence means it means to be first in rank Christ having preeminence in our lives he has done all the work he wants to deliver us from the power of darkness he wants to translate us and make us into a new creature. And he wants to give us that inheritance. Who, what that, that he has prepared for us. Who has delivered us from the power of darkness. Amazing. Tremendous. And then redemption. Being redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Friends. An amazing reality. It's the old, old story. The cross. The blood that was shed on Calvary's cross. But let that never get old for us. Because I want to say friends. Without the shedding of blood. There is no remission of sin. Where does that put you and I? 
Let us bring honor, glory, and praise to God for that amazing gift of salvation. And so when we think of this amazing work that Christ has done, let's consider that. Verse 27, yet, in Colossians chapter 1. Who God would make known, sorry, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What is the Father's will? That's a question that you all need to ask. Father, what is your will? Because his will, his desire is that his will will be done here on earth. Who's on earth here tonight? We all are, right? That's you and me. We are here. And he wants to have his kingdom brought into our hearts, lived out through you and through me. So, here's a question for you. Is there any hope where God does not move? Have you ever thought of that? Is there any hope where God does not move? Since the Holy Spirit is with the church until the very end of time, it is His work to apply God's people all the blessings that Jesus Christ has won for his church. And so in order for those blessings to become a reality in your and my life, there has to be an unusual or an extraordinary power to, uh, to work in your and my life. A Christian life is not just a humdrum, everyday, casual, unmoving experience. We have to understand, friends, this, this kingdom that wants to work in our lives, this grace that wants to work in our lives, is an extraordinary power that God wants to express in and through our lives. My question is, is that extraordinary power working in your and my life? Is it extraordinary? Or is the Christian life a little bit of a boring life? I want to say, friends, where God does not move, there is no hope. And so we want to, we want God to have His will and way expressed in our lives. And God calls His people to prepare their hearts for that extraordinary grace and work to work in our lives. Yes, he does. He asks us to condition our hearts. I wonder sometimes, and I want to challenge us at the very beginning here, has Calvinism have had an influence in the way we live our Christian life? Has Calvinism had an influence in our lives? I wonder sometimes if it has more, or if it has impacted us more than what we realize. We are, or I have been, 
I wonder if we are sometimes guilty of asking God to do what we are called to do. What do you think? I don't know. I think so. Because I would, I'm going to go through a few scriptures here. So we want God's kingdom, we want His glory to be expressed. We want that extraordinary grace to be expressed in our lives. Yes, we do. We want Him to travel and move and, and have, his, have, his, have His way within our lives. I know we all do. We all want that. But it says, uh, take heed. It says, take heed. So the, he, 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 the Bible talks about warnings. Take careful attention. Take heed to yourselves, he says. Now turn with me to Luke 21, 34. I want you to see this for yourself. Luke 21, 34. Luke 21, verse 34. He talks about um, allowing us to prepare ourselves. So what does it say? Take heed to... And what is the next word? You say it? Yourselves. So take heed... Let's say it together. Take heed to... That's right. Lest at any time your heart be overcharged with fighting, drunkenness, and the cares of this life, so that day come upon you unawares. So take heed... To yourself. Now I'll go over to Romans 6. Romans 6. Verse 13. It says, Neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. But yield, what does that word say? Let's say it together. Yourselves. So, but yield yourselves unto God in those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall have, shall, shall not have dominion over you. For ye are not under the law, but under grace. And so there again, there is a responsibility that he is asking us to condition and prepare for this great kingdom to work its work of grace in and through us. And it says, judge in yourselves. It says, yea, why even of yourself judge ye not what is right? In Luke 12, verse 57. We have to bring judgment upon our lives. God calls us to do that. Because for if we judge ourselves, we should not be judged. It says that in 1 Corinthians eleven thirty one. So are we asking God to do a work that we are called to do? And so if, there, if we do not condition ourselves, if we don't prepare ourselves, then how can that grace of God work in and through us. It also talks about turn yourselves in Ezekiel 18.31. Reckon ye also yourself to be dead indeed unto sin. Cleanse yourselves 
It talks about that. Have therefore these promises, dearly beloved. Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So are we sitting back expecting God to do what He is telling us to do? Perch yourself. Repent. And then it says, submit yourself. Turn to James 4, verse 7. James 4. Verse 7. It says, submit yourself therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. Purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and He shall lift you up. There again. Numerous times it says, submit yourself, humble yourself, and he is asking us, he's asking you and I to get engaged in the things that God has called us to do so that he can work his work in and through us. So we must submit, we must resist, and we must draw close to God. And then he says, humble yourselves. Humility is a choice, right? Or does that, are you all naturally humble? How are you doing? Are you all just, oh yeah, that's just who I am. I'm just a humble person. No, I don't mean to bust your bubble, but you are all, by nature, a bunch of proud individuals. How can I say that with confidence? Because I know Dennis is here. Sorry, but <laughs> reality is, friends, we are all by nature proud. And if you don't admit it, that's evidence that you're proud. So you're stuck. Anyhow, humility is a choice. Pride is natural. And you know what? God is so opposed to, to, uh, to pride. He actually says he hates it. Wow. Do you want to be engaged in something that God blatantly says, I hate? Well, pride is one thing. That is a proud look. There's six things that he mentions, but the one that I want to point out is a proud look. Why do you think God so unalterably hates pride? Because, because it is the greatest of all sins. Turn with me to 1 John 2. 1 John 2. Verse 16. Oh, sorry, verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now look at what it says. For what? What does it say? That What's the second word in verse 16? For 
all. What does all mean? All means all, and that's all. For all that is in the world, there's two things, lust and pride. And lust is just an expression of pride. So it says, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. That is why I believe God does not, or hates, why God hates pride. Pride is the roadblock to revival. Pride will keep a person from being saved. Pride will harden hearts. That very place where the kingdom of God is to dwell. Pride worships self. Pride will not repent. Pride will never admit it is wrong. I'll be this uh, candid with you. Do you have a problem admitting when you're wrong? Who has a problem admitting when you're when you're wrong? Anybody here? Okay, you're proud. You're not admitting it. How many just love? Oh, I, I, I was wrong. Do you all enjoy that? Is that your first love? Is it hard to admit that you're wrong? Let's be honest. How many, for how many here tonight is it difficult to admit I'm wrong? Bashfully you're putting it up because you know it's the right thing to do, right? (laughs) Frankly, it is the truth. That we, too many times we are guilty of, uh, of not confessing when we are wrong. And therefore, the progression of the kingdom of God is hindered in our lives. A little bit like that marksman. How many hunters here tonight? How many hunters? Oh, there's a few. Okay. Is there any marksman here, like going uh, fowl hunting? or? So, anyhow, I'll just tell you a story. There was a marksman, a father. He was a really, really good marksman. So he took his son out shooting ducks. And so he tells his son just to, ah, you know, just watch. When those ducks come in through there, I'll just pow, pow, pow. I'll just blow them right out of the sky. So he was really living it up to his son, the father was. He was telling us, hyping this son all up, how this is all going to be. You just watch. Really boasting it up. So they were sitting there quietly. Ducks come flying in. Dad goes up with the gun. Pow! 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 Three times! And the ducks kept on flying. And the son was expecting some, you know, disappointing response, but instead the dad looked over to his son. He says, Son, you know what we just witnessed? We just witnessed a miracle. There fly three dead ducks. (laughs) 
Do we struggle at times and make an absolute fool out of ourselves because we're proud? And I want us to understand that God hates that. He loves humility and he says, humble yourselves. And so forth. And that applies to every single one of us. If we want the kingdom of God to be expressed in and through us without a shadow of a doubt, we must humble ourselves in order to overcome and conquer the pride that all of us struggle with. Every single one of us. It says a high look and a proud heart and the plowing of the wicked is sin. Oh yes, even as simple things as plowing. You know, there's people that can, can uh, there's two farmers that can be plowing side by side. And one can be plowing in pride. How nice and straight he plows. You know, he's, whether it's a green tractor, brown tractor, blue, I don't know. You know, but he's, he's just all hyped up about how he is performing. But it says the plowing of the wicked is sin. And that can include other things as well. But even simple things like that, if we do our, uh, everyday life with a proud spirit, God hates that. He that is of a proud heart stirreth up strife. But he that putteth his trust in the Lord shall be made fat. C.S. Lewis said this, Pride is the anti-God state of mind. Pride worships the shrine of self. Another quote he says, Man is never more like the devil as when he is full of self-will. Pride is the worship of self. So he says, the Bible says, humble yourself. How many of us want the kingdom of God expressed in our lives. How many of us do? I'd like a bit of interaction. How many of us want the kingdom of God expressed in your life? We all do. Absolutely we do. But are we willing and ready to face the prerequisites that are asked in the Bible so that it can and will be expressed? Humble yourself. How do we humble it ourselves? It says by admitting we are proud. And with a bit of time, I got that through to you. It, it took a bit of time. I'm not, I'm just, that's fine. You will know that I do enjoy interaction, so don't be shy. Um, so by admitting we're proud, by identifying the pride that we have in our lives, by calling pride what it is. What is pride? What is pride? Three letters. What is pride? Precisely. Can we say that together? Pride is? And God, how does he view sin? He hates it. 
And so my friends, we have to understand. Oh yes, we all want the promises of God fulfilled in our lives. No question about it. Yes, we do. Thy kingdom come. We say that prayer. But do we really mean what we're saying? We have to recognize and call pride what it is. By recognizing what pride will do to your soul. By recognizing what pride will do with your relationship with your Savior, Jesus Christ. Confess and repent the pride you identified. And this is not pointing to one or two people. This is talking to us all. Every one of us. People who are genuinely humble do not draw attention to themselves. People who are genuinely humble attempt to advance other people instead of advancing themselves and lifting themselves up high. Biblical definition of humility is what? Lowliness of mind. Humble believers recognize that they don't know it all and seek to know God who is all-knowing. Humility takes one, or sorry, humility makes one teachable, willing to submit to the instructions of God. Sometimes we look at humility as, oh, that's just for wimps. That's just for, you know, we look at it as something very low and we don't really want to stoop down that low. But I want to say, friends, humility is not being the doormat or a pushover. But confidently put your trust in God. Confidently putting your trust in God. And don't act arrogantly. Proverbs has many, many verses about humility contrasting pride and uh, haughtiness with humbleness. For an example, the pride of men will bring him shame, but with the humble is wisdom, or haughtiness precedes destruction, but humility leads to honor. The perfect example of humility is obviously Jesus Christ. Matthew 19, or sorry, 11, verse 29, Jesus states, Take my yoke upon you. Learn of from me, for I am gentle, lowly in heart, and you will find rest in your souls. We have to understand, we all have a desire for the kingdom of God to be expressed. But I say, friends, without a shadow of a doubt, we must humble ourselves and recognize who we are in the face 
of God. And another yourself, the word yourself. Do a study sometime on the word yourself. And then that'll, I'm hoping that will get you engaged in, and not just slothfully sitting back and waiting for God to do what you are called to do. In Jude, it says in verse 20 and 21, it says, but ye, beloved, build up yourself on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Then it says, keep yourself in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. I want us to, uh, I'll give you homework to do tonight in closing here. First of all, first off, I want you, and this is all for a home study, uh, for you to do a home study on. I want you to first off study who God is. Go through the Bible and study who God is. One side of the paper. Then you take the other side of the paper and then you say, and you go through the Bible and you take a look at what the Bible says what man is. You just go through the Bible and do a study on what the Bible says what man is. And that's not gender specific. What what humanity is. You hold that side by side and you will see there's a vast Gulf between the perfection of God and the holiness of God and the depravity and the undoneness and the wickedness of man. And there's that great gulf. And then thirdly, I want you to do a study of Christ. What Christ has done for man. That great, that great gulf is fixed and it's bridged through Jesus Christ and I want to say friends when you're done with that study I have no doubt in your mind that your heart will be humbled in recognizing who we are outside of Christ and who we are in Christ if you do that study that will stimulate and work humility in our lives and a love and appreciation for what Jesus has done for us. Very important. Let's bow our heads and pray.